Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace, and uh, welcome everyone watching online. It's good to have with you, you uh, all with us this weekend. My name is Pastor Jeff. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you. And uh, I always hang out in the lobby afterwards, and I'd love to, uh, to get to know you and shake your hand a little bit and say hi. Uh, we're in a series right now called When We Saw God, and we've been talking about this series for the last few weeks, and uh, we're talking about the, kind of the heart and the mind of God. How does God think? How does God feel and interact with us? Uh, how does God want us to interact with Him and respond to Him? And we've just been kind of digging at that conversation. So if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, if you uh, want, you can go out online uh, to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch those conversations there. You can get a podcast uh, through iTunes and you can listen to those conversations. You can download the app and you can watch it on your phone, or if you give me 500 bucks, I'll come to your family room and re-preach the sermon for you. It's Christmas, I need the money, I'm just being honest. So uh, we'd love to, love to do all that for you, all right? But love for you to get up to speed on that. I think you get a lot out of it. Uh, this weekend, we wanna talk about Jesus specifically. So we're gonna be talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's like and defining him correctly so that we can interact with him correctly. And then as we interact with him correctly, uh, we'll, we'll have an understanding, a clearer understanding of what he's doing in our life and how to read the Bible and all those kind of things. So we're gonna dig at that a little bit. Uh, my father was an interesting guy. His name was Clarence Bogue, which is why none of my children are named after my father. And, uh, but I love Clarence a lot. I was very, I'm very proud to be his son. And uh, he was an interesting guy. My dad was hilarious hilarious, maybe the funniest human being I've ever met in my life. And my dad loved to tell stories and loved to joke around and loved to tell jokes and would pick on you. We always say the Bogue family love language is we pick on you. We don't really love you until we start insulting you and making you feel insecure about yourself. And that's the, that's the ticket then that we're, we're in. And so we love to do that. And my dad would... Uh, would do that, and he would laugh. He would laugh until he cried. It, it was it was awesome. When we would sit around, we get together as a family. In fact, we're, we're going to get together here in, in a couple days as a family uh, for the holidays, and we will sit around and we'll tell stories, and we will just tell stories and tell stories, and it's the same story, right? But all the detail changes, and after like a lifetime of stories, you, I actually don't know what actually happened anymore. I just know how it's all been embellished over time, and that was my dad, and my, my mom too. My mom was, was funny too, but my dad was just kind of off the hook, kind of a fun-loving guy and, a, and a, a blast to be around, and he would go in. If there was a party or something like that, he wasn't like loud and obnoxious. Just over the course of the evening, everyone would wind up kind of surrounding my dad, and he'd be telling stories and telling jokes and laughing with everybody, and, uh, and that's just the kind of the way that he, he was. And so he was fun-filled, fun-loving, hilarious guy, right? My father was an interesting guy. My father was a hard nose. And uh, if my dad said something, that was the end of the conversation, or it better be, or you were gonna pay for it. And when my dad laid down the law, you did not move that line. Once Clarence, whatever Clarence speaketh, thus is the law, right? It's the way that it was. And, and you knew that as his child, you knew you did not talk back to Papa Bear. 
you did, you did not roll your eyes, he would smack you and adjust them back correctly in your head. Uh, you did not walk away from him, oh, no, never, right? You did not walk away from dad. You did not get up from the table and walk down the hallway while he was talking to you. You did not slam your door and you did not lock it. And if you slammed it or locked it, the next thing that was gonna happen was Clarence was gonna come through that door, right? It did not go well. He, he was a stubborn guy. He was hard to rationalize and reason with sometimes. And once he decided that's the way that it was, that's, that's the way that it was, right? So my father was an interesting guy. He was a fun, loving, great, blast to be around guy. And my father was an interesting guy. He, he was a hard-nosed, difficult to deal with guy. So who was my dad? Both those say, so was my dad a hypocrite? Is that who he was? Uh, was my dad emotionally unstable? Would he just like lose it at the drop of the hat and you never knew what was gonna happen? Is that, is that who he was? Uh, was? Did my dad have a, like a split personality disorder? Did he need like, you know, psychological help? Was he mentally ill? Was, was that, is that what I'm describing in my father? Or, or might you say that if you knew my father's heart and mind, that you would understand that if you put him in one of those two categories, you had labeled him incorrectly. You, you might even say, if you knew his heart and mind, uh, you would understand that somehow he could be all of that, and if you were his child, it would make sense. Because if you tried to put a singular label on my dad, if you said, Clarence Bogue is just a fun-loving, he's the most laid-back human being ever, just a fun-loving guy. His children did not believe that about him. We didn't just look and say, Dad's a fun-loving guy. We didn't, we didn't think just that. His employees didn't think that. My dad was a factory foreman, so he, he, he handled you know, some, some rough-and-tumble guys sometimes, and, and they didn't think that. They didn't think he was all joking all the time. They never thought that. If you put the other label on him and said, Clarence Bogue is the most hard-nosed, inflexible jerk, well, his children didn't think that. I didn't, I didn't think that. Uh, his employees didn't think that. My, da my dad had a stroke when he was 49, had to retire medically. He died when he was 74. His employees came to his funeral 25 years after he was out of the workforce and would tell us how much they loved and respected our, our father. If you said he's all fun all the time, the people who knew him didn't think that. If you said he's a hard nose and that's who he is he, all the time, the people who knew him didn't think that, right? And so who was my dad? Here's the thought. Could it be that you had to know him to understand him? Could it be that if you knew him and understood him, you could have a man in your life that was fun-loving, was a blast to be around, was hard-nosed, that you did not defy or walk away from, and at the end of the day, you felt loved, secure, happy in his presence? Because if you knew him, 
you could understand it. If you tried to evaluate him from a distance, you didn't get him. But if you got up in close and were a part of his life and he was a part of yours, you knew clearly how to navigate that relationship and you felt loved and accepted at the end of the day, right? Who's Jesus? What's Jesus like? What's Jesus like? Is Jesus the God of the Old Testament that you, you talk back to him and the ground will open up and swallow you? And is that Jesus? Is that what he's like? Is he the, the God of, you know, Acts with Ananias and Sapphira? These two people, they lied about their giving and God struck them dead. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that as much as he used to? Like, so, right, he struck them dead. Is that Jesus? Or is, is Jesus the guy, let, suffer not the little children, come unto me. Jesus, the kids are sitting on his lap. We go, go play soccer together, it's phenomenal. Is Jesus the guy that feeds the 5,000 bread, loaves and fishes for everybody? Is that, is that, who is Jesus? What is he like? Do you know him so that you can understand him in order to navigate the relationship with him? In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah was, a, was an Old Testament prophet. And Isaiah at big, we call him a major prophet, big prophet, big book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah interacted and saw what we call the pre-incarnate Christ. So he, he saw Jesus. He had a vision and was kind of transported into the throne of heaven. He saw God, he saw Jesus there before Jesus showed up at Christmas time. So the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, Christ incarnate just means Jesus put skin on. That's all it means. So he saw Jesus before that. And in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 41, the writer says, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. He saw this pre-incarnate Christ and he spoke about who this Christ was and who God was. Well, what did he see and what did he say about who Jesus is and what he was like? Let me show you this. Go in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, right? So we'll flip way back in the Old Testament. If you got a Bible there in the chairs, it's page 477 in those Bibles. If you wanna use the app, just open that up and hit live and, and um, all the notes and everything will be right there. Isaiah chapter six, page 477. Isaiah has these two views of Jesus that are absolutely fascinating. And this is in the Old Testament. He's gonna go into the throne room of God or the throne room of Yahweh or God or the Trinity or Christ himself, we would say. And then the writer of John says he speaks about that later on. And this is how he describes what he saw when he was in the presence of Jesus, Isaiah chapter six, look at verse one. He says, Isaiah the prophet, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So just try to get that image in your, room, in your, in your brain. Uh, Isaiah goes into the throne room of God 
Christ, God, Yahweh, to Trinity. They, it, everybody's out, you know, on the throne up there. He's downloading God in his unrestrained glory. He sees God not filtered by any human understanding or experience. So this unrestrained glory, there's angels, tens of thousands of angels kind of swirling around the throne room of God. And the only thing that they can say that kind of remotely captures what it's like to be in the presence of God that would register with our ears so we could make sense of it is they just keep repeating, holy, holy, holy. And they talk about the glory of God filling the earth. All there is is this praise and adoration and holiness and righteousness and awestruckness. And Isaiah is looking at this and he's seeing this unrestrained glory of God and when a human being interacts with the unrestrained glory of God it's overwhelming to us as a human being and this is exactly what happens to Isaiah the glory of God kind of buckles his knees and just face plants him on the ground the Bible calls it laying prostrate before the Lord I just kind of lay spread eagle on my face because I'm I'm overwhelmed with the holiness and the righteousness of God and this was Isaiah's reaction in verse 5 he said he sees all this and he says woe is me I cried I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty when Isaiah stands in the presence of the unrestrained glory of God, the only thing that Isaiah can compute and understand about himself is his sinfulness. Woe is me, I'm unworthy, I'm wicked, I'm, I'm evil, I'm sinful. I am in the presence of holiness and I am not remotely supposed to be here right now. And Isaiah seeing the incarnate Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, is blown away by the glory and the wonder and the holiness of Christ and what he sees when he encounters God in his unrestrained glory is he sees a God that's beyond comprehension. I don't know what to say, I just know that I am a ruined man. A God of beyond comprehension, a God that's beyond interaction. He, he didn't walk in and he's like, Jesus, give me a hug. He, he, he didn't even, he just face planted, right? A God that's beyond interaction, a, a God to be feared literally and spiritually. I'm afraid of what I'm experiencing right now. A God that you cower before, a, a God that is out of reach, a God that is higher, a God that is stronger, a God that is greater. Is that, is that Jesus? Is that what Jesus is like? If I, if I was trying to define Jesus, Jesus the Christ, would I work that into my definition? Would I understand Jesus in that way? Would I interact with him as Isaiah interacted with him in Isaiah chapter six? Now Isaiah has a second description of Jesus that he gives in the same book. Over in chapter nine, if you flip to the right, maybe, maybe a page or two, depends on your Bible, but Isaiah chapter nine, the same prophet describing the same God. And he says this in verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse six, 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Same Jesus. He, he says, here, here's another image or description of Jesus. There's people walking in darkness and sin and lostness, and they have no hope. They're, they're helpless, they're hopeless, they're directionless, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And they have no hope, but a light has dawned. Hope has, has dawned. So, a hope is coming. And what Isaiah is doing, he's prophesying about the birth of Jesus. He's prophesying about Christmas. And he's saying into this hopeless world, something is gonna happen. Isaiah, this is pre-incarnate Christ, so this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christmas happens. So he gives this prophecy, and he says, this is what's gonna happen. Into hopelessness and into helplessness, something amazing is gonna happen. A child is going to be born. A light is gonna, a son is going to be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah starts to describe Jesus in, in, in his unrestrained love, that Jesus is gonna come, and his love is gonna rule the day, and he's gonna drive the narrative, and, and, and he's gonna be defined and driven and motivated by his love, and Christ is gonna come in his unrestrained love and he is a God who is gonna come to be with us. Emmanuel, that's what the word means. God with us. He's gonna be with us. He's gonna wanna be our friend. That's, those are Jesus' words. I don't, you're no longer my servants. You're my friends now if you're a follower of Jesus. He's gonna be a God who welcomes us. He is gonna be the God, suffer not the little children. Come on in, let the, let the kids come on. Let's, let's sit on my knee, let's play soccer. He's gonna be a God that reaches for us. He comes to seek and to save us. He's not looking for us to seek him to save ourselves. He came after us. He's going to comfort and guide us. He's a wonderful counselor, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is a God who is available and who is accessible and sympathizes, Hebrews says, and comes to rescue us and to save us. Is that Jesus? Is, is it Jesus in all of his splendor? Is that the Jesus that we're supposed to interact with? Is that Jesus the Christ of Christmas? Or is it Jesus in all of his humility God with skin on, which one is it? And I would say, is it Jesus of splendor that we interact with? Is it Jesus of humility that we interact with? And the answer is yes. Yes. But you have to know him to understand him. And all of that, is Jesus a hypocrite? Is he emotionally unbalanced? Does he have split personality disorder? Or is he something other than a singular definition that we tend to slip into? And, and this is the contention I might lay out. What we have in Christ is a humble king. 
We have a king who is indeed king and his authority and his power is his and his alone. And we have a king who is humble. We have a king who's a servant who came to serve us and gives of himself to rescue those that he loves. And when you look at the Christmas narrative, this is what you see. When Isaiah spoke of this, you see it played out in real time in Christmas. Flip way over to the right in your Bible to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter two is the main place that we see most of the Christmas narrative. And you see this unrestrained glory and you see this unrestrained love all in the same window. Luke chapter two, verse eight, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were what? Terrified, face plant. Woe is me, I am ruined. When those angels busted out of heaven and those shepherds saw a glimpse of the glory of God unrestrained, they weren't like, oh, I hope I got a new car for Christmas. I mean, they, they were, the glory of God did to a human being what it always does to a human being. It face plants them. And they're on the ground and they are scared to death. This isn't awe and wonder, let's respect God and be you know, mindful. This is freaked out what's going on face plant why because the unrestrained glory of God came in and it immediately puts a human being in their place and the only place for me to be before an unrestrained holy just righteous God is on my face realizing the depth of my sin and so they're terrified face planted and then look what the angel says it's, it's this huge shift look at it verse 40 or verse 10, I'm sorry. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this is your sign. You're gonna find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in the manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the, and the baby who was lying in the manger. And right here at Christmas, you see Isaiah's complete description of Christ come to fruition, right? The glory of God face plant, but the glory and the power and the wonder of the king is brought to bear for humanity. And so the angels realizing full well, these guys cannot handle this. What do they say? They look and say, listen, don't be afraid. This is overwhelming to you. You don't belong here. This is a God that you cannot attain. This is a problem you cannot solve. This is a righteousness you cannot satisfy. Don't be afraid. We bring you really, really good news. You're gonna need this news. There's a savior that's been born. And the only way for you to come into the presence of this God is for this savior to humble himself and intervene in the process. Now go find this savior king. Where is he? Bethlehem, what's he doing? He's laying in a feeding trough. And so they go and they find the baby. 
the humble king, their Lord, king, and savior, Jesus Christ. And God puts skin on, makes himself accessible to us, why? To rescue us. He takes his power and he utilizes it to do what only he can do. He must defeat sin. He must defeat death. We can't do it. We just face plant and realize our wickedness. But he, he can rescue. He can save. He is the humble king. This understanding of Christ is absolutely massive when it comes to our relationship with God. Because in Christmas, there's fewer, clearer pictures of the heart and mind of Christ than Christmas. You see the glory of God unrestrained and the humility and love of God unrestrained. And you find this humble king. And having a humble king has enormous ramifications on our lives. A humble king means that I, that I bow to a king who holds all authority over me, unquestionable, the authority of God. And it also means I bow to a king who lies in a manger so that I can know him. It means I bow to a king who controls and predestines every day of my life. And I bow to a king who loves and serves me. I bow to a king who holds our very breath of life in his hands, the book of Hebrews says. And I bow to a king who loves and serves me. And I bow to a king who, who brought his power to protect and defend me. It means I bow to a king whose justice I will give an account for. You and I, every human being, will stand before God and we will give an account for every action, deed, motive we've ever had. We will answer for our lives. And that will be before Jesus that we do that. But it also means I bow to a king who paid my debt knowing that I could never measure up in that account. I bow to a king who alone is worthy of worship and praise. And it means that I bow to a king who kneels beside me in my darkest hours and rejoices with me in my most joy-filled moments. A humble king means I bow to a king whose righteousness and holiness buckle my knees. And I also bow to a king who gave his life so that I could be made righteous and I could be made holy. When Isaiah saw God, he saw Christ in his completeness. The unrestrained glory of Christ and the unrestrained love of Christ. When the shepherds saw God, they saw Christ in his completeness, the glory of God and the humility of Christ. Now guys, here's my fear. Here's my fear. We talk about accepting Christ, right? So we need to accept Christ. And what we mean by that is we need to follow Christ. We'll, we'll even call ourselves a Christ follower. I need, to, I need to be a Christ follower. I need to follow Christ. Uh, Jesus uses the term born again. I need to be born again. I will use the term get saved. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you say it, but this idea that I, I, I take Christ for who he is and I bring him into my life and I'm a follower of Christ. And here's my fear. My fear is that when we accept Christ, 
we accept a part of him, but not always him in his completeness. Let me show you what I mean. Some of us are very, very good at accepting Christ as our king. He's our king and our Lord. And we got that part down, man. Nailed it. And so I'm go- I am going to appease this king. I'm on the verge of a lightning bolt all the time. And so I better, I gotta go to church. I, I gotta, I gotta like not smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do cheer for Michigan. Like I gotta get my act together or my car's gonna break, I'm gonna lose my job, I'm gonna go bald. Like that's what's gonna happen to me and because I have a, a king God who is righteous and holy and I should not, cannot be in his presence. And we have accepted our Lord and King and that defines our relationship with God. Now some of us have accepted Christ as Savior. And for the, for the sake of this conversation, when we think of Savior, it's all the, the rescuing, helping parts of Jesus. Oh man, I'm in on that. Jesus loves me. Jesus came to rescue me. Jesus wants to be my friend. I'm all about that. Jesus like makes stuff happen. He makes my wishes come true. And the mindset is Jesus, you know what? Come on, let's go through life together. You and me, you follow me. And you just work stuff out. Get me out of the ticket. Get me a girl, get me a job, right? Make me look like Jeff. Do something miracle. And, and like, let's just, come on, Jesus, buddy, pal. And you know, if I, can, if I can get to church once in a while and I'll, I'll pick certain parts of the Bible that I'm in on and, and what can happen is we'll lock into Christ as our king and give our relationship to Christ to proving our worth to him. Or we'll accept Christ as our savior and give our relationship to Christ as if we've done him a favor by inviting him into our, our life. And I would submit to you that if you labeled Clarence as fun all the time, you're wrong. If you labeled him as a hard nose all the time, you're wrong. You had to know Clarence to understand him. And he can be all of that and you can be his son and feel loved and accepted and secure, knowing full well what your father's like. Jesus Christ is our Lord, King, Savior. He's all the above. And the God of Christmas is, is, is not the cute little, cute little baby in the manger. No, no, no. It's the shepherds on their face and God with unspeakable humility and all that perfectly encased in what we would call Christmas in the person of Jesus Christ. And if I've accepted this part of Christ, I probably haven't actually accepted Christ. If I've only accepted this part of Christ, I actually haven't accepted Christ. 
And I have to know him to understand him. And if I don't understand him, I don't understand how to interact with him. I don't actually know who I'm actually following and who I've actually given my life to. Now, this is what I want us to do this week. I want to do something a little bit different. And uh, in here and also if you're watching online, same thing, I want you to do this with us. I want us to take a few minutes and I want us to kind of isolate these two parts of Jesus and I want us to, to look into kind of our heart and mind and make sure we're defining that element of Christ correctly. So I'm gonna have the band come out and as the band comes out, they're, they're gonna create a little bit of space for us and the, the first part of Christ I want us to, to lock on to is Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. Okay, what does that mean? That Jesus Christ is our Lord and King. This is what that means. Jesus Christ is our Lord and King. That means that he has all authority, all power, all claim on our lives. He is the potter, we are the clay. There is no aspect of my life as a human being that I have a right to claim for myself. I am a created being standing in the mercy of an all-powerful God. His word, his direction, his directives are not options in my life. They are gospel, they are law. And that God is not to be defied, to be ignored, and to be walked away from. I am to fully submit my life to my Lord and King, Jesus Christ. I don't pick and choose that. All of it, every aspect of it, home, work, play, fill in your blank. Is that your understanding and your definition of your relationship with Jesus? That's who he is. Is there any aspect of your life that you either purposely or just through kind of a, a lackadaisical mindset have brought out from under the authority of your Lord and King. Because if we're not, in essence, face-planted spiritually, then we have defined that baby incorrectly. This is what I encourage you to do. Let's take, why we're, why we're kind of out of the chaos for a little bit, let's take a couple minutes Let's pray, let's think, and let's download Jesus as our king, right? And the band will create some space, and then I'll come back up and, and we'll keep talking about this.